0: The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast where you're shortcut to being informed. In this episode of Squiz Shortcuts, we look at two ethnic minorities, the Rohingya and the Uyghurs. Both groups are predominantly Muslim and are considered by the United Nations to be victims of human rights abuses. Here we explain who they are, as well as why and how they're being persecuted. Squeeze Shortcuts is your shortcut to more than the headlines. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. We'll start with the Rohingya, Claire. Let's first look at how they ended up in what we now call Myanmar. That's a result of more than a century of British rule from 1824.
1: That's right. And while there's a history of Muslim settlers in that part of Myanmar, it was the British who sent many workers to the area, uh, including the Rohingya. The Rohingya are predominantly Muslim. And as their population grew in that region, tensions rose between the Rohingya and the locals. So that tension really goes back to the late 1800s and into the 1900s.
0: To gallop through the history, Britain considered the area to be a province of India until 1948 when Burma, now Myanmar, was granted independence. This meant this new nation could define which ethnicities could gain citizenship and the Rohingya was not one of them.
1: There was an exemption where families that had lived in Myanmar for at least two generations could apply for identity cards. Things changed though after the 1962 military coup and all citizens were required to obtain national registration cards. The Rohingya, however, were only ever given foreign identity cards, which limited the jobs and the educational opportunities that they could access.
0: And then in 1982, the citizenship law was passed, which went even a step further and ruled anyone who had come to Myanmar during British colonial rule to be illegal immigrants, one of which was the Rohingya.
1: Yeah, the Rohingya were denied citizenship, which has effectively rendered them stateless. This is something that persists to this day with the Myanmar government refusing to even officially recognise them as an ethnic minority. So, if they were deemed stateless, where were they able to live and in what numbers? The Majority of them were living in what's called Rakhine State. If you look at the Bay of Bengal, you've got India on the left-hand side of it, you've got Thailand on the right, and then you've got Bangladesh and Myanmar. So that west border right onto the, to the bay is where the Rakhine State is. Uh, they numbered around 1 million at the start of 2017. 2017,
0: an important year, many fled Rakhine State and crossed the border to Bangladesh. This exodus Came after Rohingya militants attacked police posts, killing 12 members of the security forces. There were also reports that those Rohingya were involved in the massacre of Hindu women, men and children in the area. To these attacks, the Myanmar military responded in a big way, Claire.
1: What the Myanmar military is accused of doing, in the United Nations eyes anyway, basically amounts to genocide. Uh, we're talking about actions such as raising villages, uh, rapes of men and women and gang rape. Uh, torture, forced displacement. And whilst the numbers can't be verified and they're much disputed, the United Nations has said that they believe that at least a 1,000, if not more, were killed.
0: This accusation of genocide is something that Myanmar's civilian leader Aung San Suu Kyi has denied. She won
1: the 1991 Nobel Peace Prize for her fight for freedom in Myanmar. These days, she's basically the civilian leader of the government. There's still a lot of Mm. military presence in the government. She's fronted the United Nations International Court of Justice in The Hague over charges of genocide and said that while her country's military might have overstepped the mark in some cases, it was a justified response response to the violence initiated by those Rohingya militants.
0: But what this action by the Myanmar military has caused is the fleeing, as we talked about before, of up to 700,000 Rohingya. They've fled to neighbouring Bangladesh. They largely remain there now in what is considered to be the largest refugee camp in the world. Where does Bangladesh sit on all of this?
1: It's largely been left to deal with what the United Nations has labelled as a humanitarian disaster. They're in an area of Bangladesh called Cox's Bazaar, again, when you look at the map, you can see it's just uh, over that border from Myanmar. The United Nations, though, is working with Bangladesh to try and help them through that. The United Nations has also called uh, on Myanmar to work with Bangladesh to resettle those people back to where they came from.
0: And that's your shortcut to the Rohingya. On now to the Uyghurs. Uyghurs are a Turkish-speaking Muslim ethnic minority from Central Asia who largely reside in the Xinjiang region in far northwestern China. As far as the spelling of Uyghurs, we've gone with the ABC version, which is U-Y-G-H-U-R-S. If you're reading about them,
1: that's what that's referring to. Where Xinjiang is, it's a situation a little bit like Tibet. It's an autonomous region of China, but the government still exercises a great deal of control over that region. China always had a troubled relationship with the Uyghurs
0: since it started occupying their land several hundred years ago. It was after the region formally became part of communist China in 1949 that the emigration of the majority Han Chinese population started in the region. So what went from a nearly 80% Uyghur population became about a 50-50 split between the Chinese and the Uyghurs. It's this changing demographic, Claire, that's led to rising ethnic as well as economic tensions.
1: The and then the September 11 attacks also spurred on anti-Islam sentiment in China. So it seems that the groundwork for the crackdown on Xinjiang's Uyghur population was laid over the past decade after a spate of violence and increasingly large attacks by Uyghur militants seeking autonomy from China.
0: It was in response to these attacks that leaked documents from the Communist Party revealed that President Xi Jinping, the president of China, ordered an all-out war against Terrorism, infiltration and separatism.
1: The Chinese government began implementing a number of policies which curb religious freedom. They increased surveillance in the region and even banned some Muslim names for babies, uh, as well as the wearing of long beards and and those religious veils. Uh, A number of Uyghur religious sites, including mosques, uh, also schools were destroyed, uh, or they were changed significantly to resemble a more sort of Chinese architecture.
0: As part of this big crackdown, you mentioned their surveillance measures, Uyghurs across the Xinjiang region are forced to show ID wherever they go. They have to hand over their phones to be checked. And facial recognition technology is said to be able to track their every move. Quite sophisticated.
1: Yeah. Also talking about things like face and fingerprint databases, they're used in Xinjiang. Uh, Also reports of those sorts of technologies now being used in other parts of China, but it was really on the Uyghurs that that technology was developed.
0: And as part of this crackdown, also, the government began operating detention camps where Uyghurs would be sent to become
1: effectively indoctrinated. Yeah, re-educated is the official term. Right. Uh, there are accounts of Uyghurs being forced to renounce Islam, uh, also their language and profess support for the communist Chinese government. Over time, these small camps have evolved into a really large-scale system of prison-like concentration camps. They're now spread across that region. Uh, Reports say that more than a million Uyghurs are thought to have been detained since 2016. On the
0: other hand, China argues these camps are vocational education and training centres where Uyghurs willingly attend classes. You can look at some Chinese propaganda videos that show people inside the camps talking about how they're learning of better ways to live and rejecting their extremist tendencies. However, accounts given to Western journalists about life inside these camps tell a very different story story.
1: Yeah, what those stories say is that detainees are given limited contact with their families. There are reports of widespread physical and verbal abuse, as well as torture. As well as adults, about half a million Uyghur children are thought to have been separated from their parents uh, and detained in the camps. Other detainees are sent to work in nearby factories in the region where they're either paid very little or sometimes not at all. It's effectively a forced labour situation.
0: So as the world has learnt about what is Happening to the Uyghurs, many human rights groups, as well as a number of journalists and international Uyghur groups, So the actions by the Chinese government amount to ethnic cleansing, forced assimilation, brainwashing, and possibly even genocide. So, how has or how is the world responding?
1: Yeah, it's a tricky one for the world because it's China, which is a massive power and a trading partner around the world. So, diplomatically, it's very tricky. The United States, for example, has been really quiet on the matter. Australia, was a signatory to a letter to the United Nations Human Rights Council in 2019 condemning China's treatment of the Uyghurs. Uh, But there's been very little movement towards any sort of substantial action or sanctions against China on their treatment of the Uyghur people. And that's
0: your shortcut to the Chinese Uyghurs. On to our recommendations. My recommendation on this one relates to the Uyghurs. It's a Four Corners documentary from July last year, Claire, and in it are interviews with Australians who have family members who have been detained in these camps. It's heartbreaking and it also shows the level of sophistication of China's surveillance operations.
1: I have our very own Kate Blanchett addressing the United Nations Security Council on the Rohingya crisis. She's a United Nations goodwill ambassador and she travelled to the refugee camp to talk to those Affected about what's happened to them.
0: And if international affairs is your kind of thing, we have a few other shortcuts that you should check out. One on West Papua and the unrest being seen there. Another on 1MDB, a corruption scandal revolving around that fund that was set up by the former Malaysian Prime Minister. We've got one on Islamic State. Another about America, Turkey, and the Syrian Kurds. All available in both written format on our website or by searching for Squeeze Shortcuts in your podcast app. Thanks for listening to this episode of Squish Shortcuts. Until next time.